Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, a very, very warm welcome to you all. Uh, if you're uh, new or visiting, it's great that you're able to join us this morning. Uh, please do, uh, uh, if you're visiting, just do say hello. Grab me uh, gently by the throat at some point after the service. Uh, and, uh, and say hello, uh, or do join us uh, for tea and coffee after the service. It'd be great to uh, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, and a special welcome also if you're watching us online. It's great that you're uh, able to join us uh, that way too. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be continuing our journey through Mark's Gospel, and Phil Davis will be uh, opening that to us, uh, helping us to see uh, the compassionate King, his heart, uh, and our own hearts as well. So look forward uh, to scripture being unfolded uh, for us later. Great. Let's, uh, let's turn to prayer. So in the name of the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, let's come to our Father God uh, in heaven. Uh, Father God, we thank you that uh, you have made it possible for us to come before you to cry out, Abba, Father, uh, to come to you as your children and to place our needs and petitions before you. Uh, Father God, thank you that you hear our prayers. Uh, Father, we bring before you the needs of the world uh, with so many places ravaged by war or fear of war. We pray for the leaders of the countries in the Middle East, Uh, Father, we pray that they would work hard to seek for peace. Please, would you take away fear and pride from those who lead in that region and place in their hearts a desire to work toward a position that deals with the injustices that have been committed, but with hearts that seek for ultimate reconciliation. Please, would you draw that region away from deepening conflict? Father, we thank you that aid is getting through and we pray that safe harbour would be found for all those who have been displaced by the fighting and please would you comfort those who have lost loved ones. We also pray pray for the war in the Ukraine. Uh, Father God, please would you stay Mr Putin's hand. Please would he not seek to use the conflict in the Middle East as a cover for committing further atrocities. And we pray that the Russian leaders would also seek for peace and that you would bring that conflict to an end. And we pray for those parts of the world hit by natural disasters. We pray for the people and the country of Morocco as they look to recover from the destruction and the loss of life caused by the earthquake. Father, we pray that the lifting equipment that's needed, we pray that that would make its way to the remote areas that have been affected and clear away the debris. And we pray also that the humanitarian aid that's needed, uh, that would uh, come through. And we pray for, and Father, we give you thanks for uh, the generosity of governments and individuals. And Father, we pray that the money that's needed for the people affected, uh, that they would uh, receive that money, that they would receive food and shelter uh, through the winter months. And we pray that... uh, that aid would continue to be provided. And again, we pray for all those who have lost loved ones. Might they know your comfort with them as they mourn. 
And we pray for Alan Esam this morning. I thank you for the connections that LCBC has with Pastor Julian in Kalorash. And thank you that Alan is able to spend a couple of weeks in Romania. My Father, we pray that you would help Alan as he speaks of the Lord Jesus at the church at Pastor Julian's house and at other pre-planned gatherings. Please would you use Alan in this time to encourage Pastor Julian, uh, to encourage him to be uh, faithful, to be bold and to be fearless in proclaiming the Lord Jesus. And in your mercy, please would you be at work in the hearts of all who hear the message of salvation through Christ, that they would respond in repentance and in faith for your glory. We pray for travel mercies for Alan. Please keep him safe as he journeys about the country. Now we pray for Jill. And we pray that she would not feel too lonely. And that we as a church fellowship would be close to Jill. And we pray for Colin this morning as he preaches at Plumstead. Uh, as they discern your calling uh, for him and for Vicky. Now please help them to give a good and full account of themselves and to give them uh, and the church, would you please give them and the church the wisdom that they need to discern if Slade is indeed the place that you're calling them to. Might they have great peace this morning. Now we pray for all those who we know who are sick, uh, be it in mind, in spirit or in body. Our Father, for those who find themselves in a dark place, Uh, Please, would you lift up the light of your countenance upon them? Might they know the light of your love? And please, would you banish the darkness that they find themselves in? And place in their hearts, we pray, a sense of hope. Uh, We pray for those who are awaiting uh, the results of tests or procedures, that they would know your peace, that they would not be filled with anxiety or worry, but rather... Father, would you please help them by your spirit to hold fast to the promises revealed in scripture and to know your goodness. And for those who are recovering from illness, uh, please, would you heal their broken bodies and restore them to health? Uh, In a moment of quiet, uh, now please uh, let us bring before the Lord anyone that's on our own hearts uh, who needs to know the healing touch of the Father's hand. And Father, we pray for those who are mourning, uh, whether it's a recent loss or one from long ago, where our hearts are broken. And we bring before you, particularly this morning, uh, Dan's mother, Karen, Wendy Hopcroft, Debbie Kratt. Jackie and Rob Finley and Alan Gibson. We pray that all who mourn would know your presence with them. Please would that be a great comfort to them. Remind them afresh of your eternal promises that even if they cannot understand why they are suffering like this that they would not lose sight of you. Would you please bring them to a place where the crushing weight of loss is placed into your hands and your love and presence is a lived reality as a healing and comforting of their hearts. We pray for Lila as she comes to bring us our reading this morning. Please would you help her to read clearly and help us to listen well. 
We pray for Phil as he comes to open up your word this morning. Thank you for the words that you've given him to share with us. Uh, Please would you give us eager minds and soft hearts that we might hear you speak to each one of us this morning. And please would you give us the courage to respond to what you say to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our reading this morning is uh, from Mark, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry... They'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he'd sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went off to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussions, Jesus asked them, why are you still talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Uh, Let's pray together as we uh, start. Heavenly Father, we do um, thank you that this morning we have your word before us in a a language we can read. Thank you that it's living and true. And Father, I pray you'd help me to speak clearly uh, for us to listen uh, together well. And please help us to understand and apply this right. Help us to forget unhelpful things and remember uh, good and helpful uh, things today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine at university. I'll call him Greg. 
He was one of about 20 housemates I lived with before I got married. He spent a lot of time with Christians. He came to Christian Union mission talks and church outreach events. He even attended our house book group where we discussed a book all about the evidence for the Bible and for Jesus. He had high moral standards. He was friendly. He kept the kitchen spotless. He was a model housemate. Greg heard the gospel so many times and came to so many evangelistic events that we joked he could probably have stood up at the front and given a talk explaining the Christian faith himself. Yet when he moved out of my house, um, he still didn't believe. And as far as I know, still doesn't follow Jesus. Despite all the evidence about Jesus he'd heard about and seen lived out, Greg still did not see. Why didn't Greg become a Christian? Why didn't he believe in Jesus? Were we, his Christian friends, just not persuasive enough? Were the evangelistic events not professional enough? The marquee a bit too cold? The sound not crisp? The audiovisual just a bit boring? Perhaps the toppings on the free pizzas were too bland, or the, the case for Christ's book group just wasn't engaging enough. And maybe he needed to live with more Christians and have more believing friends. Despite hearing the evidence, Greg didn't believe. And perhaps you today have friends or family uh, like Greg, um, that you've told them about Jesus. Um, you've explained the good news and you've reasoned with them all about the evidence for Jesus' existence. Yet they don't, still don't see, they still don't believe. Our passage today in Mark, uh, while sobering, goes, way, goes somewhere to explain why people can hear loads of evidence about Jesus, yet not believe. Why they can hear the good news, but not understand. Now, if you're not familiar with the book of Mark, then today is a good summary of what's happened so far. In chapter 8, we read of an amazing miracle by Jesus for unexpected people. And then we see the response of those watching. We see outsiders being satisfied and provided for by Jesus. Yet for insiders, despite overwhelming evidence, we find unbelief. People don't understand Jesus. And while sad, uh, we will see good news. And I hope we'll be astounded afresh again by Jesus' compassion for us. And as well, hopefully we'll realize that all people need a heart miracle in order to understand who Jesus is. So our first point today is Jesus' compassion is open to all. And we see that in verses 1 through to 10. So if you look with me, we see a massive crowd gathering to Jesus, listening to him for three days. They're hungry, and twice Mark tells us they had nothing to eat. So hungry that the concern is they may collapse on the way home in verse 3. Note Jesus' first words here. He sees the hungry crowd, and in verse 2 he says, I have compassion for these people. Seeing the need of these people, Jesus' heart filled with compassion. 
How will these 4,000 people be fed and not faint on the way home? We're in a remote location. There aren't any shops nearby. There's no chip shop in a local square or no artisan bakery in a local manor. No delivery rider to call. Jesus filled with compassion in a remote place with his disciples. Thousands of hungry mouths, a few loaves of bread and some fish. Sound familiar? Well, if you turn your Bible back, just one page, just turn the page one back to Mark 6. Does this not remind you of chapter 6, where we read of Jesus filled with compassion with the disciples, 5,000 hungry men, five loaves, two fish in a remote place, and how he miraculously fed that crowd? The disciples were with him then. They're with Jesus now in chapter 8. Surely they're going to urge Jesus to do his multiplication miracle. The one where he gets a few loaves, satisfies thousands of people with bread and still has baskets left for the picnic on the way home. Surely Peter, James and John will believe Jesus can feed the 4,000 here. Do they see the hungry mouths and the seven loaves and say, hey, Jesus, do you remember what you did last time with five loaves? How you fed the 5,000 men? Well, we have seven loaves this time, so we'll eat two of them because you only need five. Then you can repeat that great miracle and satisfy the crowd here. Will they trust him to do the impossible? Well, in verse four, his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? We, the reader, were a bit amazed. Had they not remembered, do they not yet understand who Jesus is? We're thinking, surely you know Jesus can give thanks for the bread, do the bakery miracle and feed these people. I thought the disciples were the good guys in our story. Well, if you've been here for our series in Mark so far, you'll know that um, we've read about Jesus healing, uh, walking on water, declaring he is God. Yet today, the, the disciples still didn't get it. How can they be so dull? Back to the story from verse 5. Jesus takes the seven loaves and satisfies this crowd. 4,000 people. It's like all the households in Crendon having guests over and then coming down to the wreck for a picnic. Just think how big a miracle this is. How much bread? I went to Waitrose in Tame yesterday and tried to count up all the loaves there. It was hard to get to the back of the shelves without drawing too much attention <laughs> to myself. But I'd say there were maybe around 500. So you need to go to Waitrose every day for four days, probably, to find enough bread to satisfy 4,000 hungry people who hadn't eaten for three days. You'd go in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, clear the shelves each time, bring it back. Yet Jesus does this miracle instantaneously. True bread from heaven. And it's not just a morsel or a canapé or an aperitif. It's satisfaction. So much provision that there were basketfuls of bread left over. Now you may be wondering, Mark, the book of Mark is just 16 chapters long. And he doesn't include anything about Jesus' first 30 years of life. 
why would he use expensive ink and paper to record almost the same miracle twice? Well, we must assume he's trying to teach us something different here about Jesus in the hunger to banquet miracle of chapter 8. What could this be? Well, what the first readers of Mark would realize is that Jesus and the crowd are now in what's known as Gentile territory. And we saw that last week in chapter 7 when Jesus went to the region of the Decapolis. Now, in the time of Jesus, this was important because the Old Testament is a story of God setting his love on his chosen people, Israel, the Jewish nation. And so the rest of the world are Gentiles, like the vast majority of us here this morning. You may remember one of the lessons from the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6 was that Jesus provided bread from heaven in the wilderness to show that he is leading a new exodus or a, a new rescue for God's people. Jesus has come to rescue his people from slavery to sin into eternal life. So as Jesus repeats the feeding miracle in our passage today, this time providing bread from heaven in the wilderness amongst Gentiles, he shows us that he is the rescuer for all nationalities. Now, we can overuse the word rescue today, the rescue of our team from relegation on the final day of the season or the rescue of a cake from the oven just as it's about to burn. The rescue Jesus is bringing is blowing all other rescues out of the water. It's a rescue with a capital R. And his rescue, his compassion is open to all people. Now, the first readers of Mark, they were reading this book about 30 years after this miracle. And it would include many uh, Gentiles who wouldn't yet have the whole New Testament. They may not know that the good news is spreading to all people. They may be wondering, is Jesus the rescuer for all people, even Gentiles like me? Repeating this miracle in Gentile territory shows the readers that Jesus's compassion is open to them, too. And it's the same today for people who may think that Jesus isn't for them because of their background. Perhaps they think Jesus is for Western people or middle class people, or surely his compassion doesn't extend to people born into other religions. Well, yes, it does. His compassion is open to all. Now, while this section of Mark shows that Jesus has come to provide compassion spiritually and offer rescue to all. We shouldn't overlook his compassion here for the hunger he sees. We see throughout the Gospels when he sees hardship and pain, he doesn't remain indifferent. Compassion churns within, resulting in the outward act of provision. And do you see that beauty, this compassion of Jesus? And he shows us genuine compassion towards both hunger of the crowd and relieves their physical needs and towards the spiritual condition of the Gentiles by offering rescue from sin for them too. 
So while Jesus has perfect compassion for all, our emotions today are affected by sin and they tend to under or overreact. I wonder what stops us today being compassionate. I don't know about you, but my heart is often cool towards misery. I can watch the news or see an article and not be moved by it like I should. I can come up with excuses like, I haven't got time to stop and show compassion. I'll be late for work or they'll spend it on the wrong things or someone else is better equipped to help. But when we do see compassion today by others, um, we should value it and we should praise it. It is Christ-like. And we today should desire to be compassionate. When we see someone's hardship or their pain, our Christ-like response is surely to attempt to relieve it as we think of Jesus' compassion to us and seek to follow him. And Jesus has compassion spiritually for all people. We've seen his rescue from slavery to sin is open to all. No nation or people group is beyond his compassion. Back then it was Jew and Gentile. We could say British, American, Israeli, Palestinian, Ukrainian, Russian, North Korean, South Korean. Jesus' offer of compassion is open to all, wherever you are. Uh, Most of us here today are believers in Jesus. Jesus has shown his compassion to us. He's rescued us. And we'll come back to this and think about this a bit at the end of the talk. But at this point, I want us to think about when we meet our unbelieving family or friends. And specifically, uh, do we have compassion on their souls when we recognize their spiritual state? Even people like the Gentiles in this passage who seem far away, for us perhaps that may be the friend who's a Hindu um, at school or the atheist at work or the pushy parent at the school gate. Jesus' wonderful compassion, his rescue, is open to all. However, a theme running through Mark is that in the face of great evidence, people still don't believe. Jesus, back in chapter 1, proclaimed the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news. Yet, as we've read through Mark, seen amazing signs and miracles that Jesus has done, the surprising thing is that many don't repent or believe. They downright reject Jesus or they're modelled at best, like my friend Greg, um, and perhaps your family and friends. So our second point today is we need Jesus to soften our hard hearts to believe. We need Jesus to soften our hard hearts to believe. And we see that in verses 11 through to the end in 21. See, our hearts are naturally hard towards Jesus. Now, if this passage was a film, it would be dark. The music's in a minor key and the tone's getting tense as we meet the Pharisees again in verses 11 onwards. They're the religious top dogs who we've already seen in Mark stand against everything that Jesus does. And we feel we already know they're not going to praise Jesus for his compassion to the Gentiles. 
And instead they begin to argue and seek a sign from heaven in verse 11. The feedings of the 5,000, the 4,000, the healing of the withered man, the withered hand, the healing of the paralyzed man. No doubt the Pharisees may have seen or heard about these things, but they obviously don't classify them as signs from heaven in their book. I don't know if you've ever noted the number of signs before a roundabout. You have the signs which say roundabout approaching. You have the rectangle signs at the side with three, then two, then one dash. You have the horizontal lines on the road with yellow lines. Uh, You have slow signs. You have arrow signs. No one would drive past all these signs, crash into the roundabout, and complain they wanted a roundabout sign. Signs to authenticate Jesus' ministry have been there in abundance, but the Pharisees reject him again. So Jesus tells them, you won't give them another sign, and he leaves them. Sometimes we see that today, don't we? The person who says, uh, if only God would do this, uh, then I'll believe. Or if only he would come down and show himself to me or do this miracle, then I would believe. Mark switches the view back to the disciples in verse 14. So remember, the disciples, they're the the inner circle. They're the uh, the good guys, right? Uh, They may have shown great dullness earlier on, but surely now they get it. Uh, Well, we find them in the boat again, and it appears their stomachs are rumbling. Uh, They still have bread on their mind. Uh, Perhaps another three days teaching with Jesus awaits, and they don't want to be caught short again. Jesus fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. Can he feed the 12? Well, Jesus responds by instructing them with this small parable. Uh, Be careful. Jesus warned uh, them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Verse 15. It's not completely completely clear what this yeast is, but his warning here is likely about unbelief and rejection of him. A warning to the disciples that, that they're in danger of being in the same position as the Pharisees and those who've rejected Jesus. But the disciples who'd actually taken part in the signs show in verse 16 that they still don't get it. They still seem concerned. They don't have much bread. Despite just witnessing this amazing provision miracle. They they don't seem to have grasped that Jesus has tremendous power to provide or grasped his his mission as the great rescuer for all the nations. Jesus' compassion and rescue is great news for all those who believe. But at this point, the disciples didn't believe. They're still confused how to feed a crowd. And with just 12 needing to be fed, they don't understand. If you look at the end of the passage from verse 17 to the end, we get this stream of questions from Jesus directed at them. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And finally, verse 21, uh, do you still not understand? These, these questions show us that they have eyes but are blind, ears but are deaf, and they're charged with hardened hearts. 
Now, it's possible to have eyes but not see. I think my wife would describe me like that when I try and drive without my glasses. Do you know it's a 50-mile-an-hour limit here? Um, Did you see that cyclist over there? I just want to arrive at our destination without crashing, things I sometimes hear on the journey. (laughs) My most embarrassing time when I couldn't see was during a leadership meeting at the University Christian Union. I didn't think I needed to wear glasses much, and I was asked to read a passage. I had my very small Bible with me, and I looked down at the words, and it was like blurry text, even with straining. So I had to say, uh, I'm very sorry, but I can't read this. That's when I knew I should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> but Jesus here isn't talking about physical blindness or physical deafness. He's talking about spiritual blindness, not seeing him for who he really is, not believing in him. We've seen the disciples witness miracle upon miracle, receive his personal teaching. Uh, why don't they understand? Why don't they believe? How frustrating Well, Jesus seems to say that their hearts are hard. They've seen God's power at work, but they've chosen to ignore it. They've refused to repent. They've refused to believe. Instead of being soft towards God, sin has made hearts hard and produced all sorts of evils, as we saw last week in chapter 7. This passage seems bleak. It seems tragic. The disciples who've seen Jesus live, hear him teach, they've even worked with him, they still don't believe. They have this great rescue on offer, but they are blind, deaf, and hard-hearted. Hearts need to be soft to pump well. Hearts that are hard stop functioning. They lead to death, not life. And as a doctor, I've seen lots of failing hearts, and sometimes they cause people to swell up and swell up with fluid and get so breathless, they need some oxygen through a tube. And it's not nice to see. About 10 years ago, I was working in Africa uh, with a friend called Jim, and we met a teenage patient whose heart was failing. The heart's outer layer had filled with fluid, so it couldn't pump very well. Jim said we should stick a needle into the heart. I didn't really know what I was doing, and I don't have the steadiest of of hands, But thankfully, Jim was a specialist in hearts. And he directed me to put a large needle in about here, angle it upwards until I met the heart about here, and then we drained off about a litre of fluid to enable the heart to start working a bit better. And her breathing improved. We could treat her physical heart back then and help her function better for a little while. But spiritual hard hearts, these are hard towards Jesus and need softening to believe. So while this passage is sobering, there is hope. If you see verse 21 in the original language, Jesus finishes the passage with, do you not yet understand? And we know from the rest of the Bible that the disciples do finally understand. They go on to write the New Testament to proclaim Jesus even give their lives for him. So we too have hope for our family and our friends. And if you take a look at the surrounding passages, um, immediately before our passage at the end of chapter 7, you see a heading about a deaf man. Jesus um, meets a deaf man. This man had ears, but he could not hear. 
And after spitting and touching the man, his ears were opened. And then straight after our passage, you'll see a heading, Jesus heals a blind man, verse 22. This blind man had eyes, but could not see. And after spitting and touching the man, his eyes could see. You see, these miracles of healing either side of our passage show that the the disciples and our own blindness and deafness is curable. By implication, we need a miracle by Jesus of our heart in order to believe in him, see him and grasp his rescue. And amazingly, his compassion has extended to us. If you're a Christian here, then he has performed that miracle in your heart. So as we finish today, this passage shows that everyone, like my friend Greg and like your friends, need Jesus to soften their hard hearts in order to believe. No, much how, no matter how much evidence they read or how many times they hear the gospel, they require a miracle. So we aren't to be surprised when they fail to believe and deny the evidence, but we have hope that they can believe. It means we must ask God to do miracles. Now, of course, we are to speak out the gospel. We are to run evangelistic courses, breakfast. These are great things. God doesn't need us, but he wants us to be involved. And that's taught elsewhere in the Bible. People still need to hear about Jesus. But this passage teaches us that we are also to ask the Lord to soften hearts. We need to implore God to open hearts and eyes to the Lord Jesus. The Lord is the one who opens eyes to see who he is. He softens hearts. And if you're a Christian here, then he has already softened your heart to believe in him. Like he goes on to do for most of the disciples, he does for us. The compassionate king who grants us compassion and gives us belief. Our hearts, which were filled with evil things, hardened, dying hearts, with blind eyes. We couldn't see God. In fact, we were enemies. But Jesus' compassion extended to you and it extended to me. It took a miracle for us to believe and rescue us from our sin, our path towards hell, and bring us onto the path towards eternal life and the new creation. Not because we deserve it, we didn't. Not because we softened our own heart or healed our own eyes or opened our own ears. And not because we're entitled to it, uh, because we definitely are not. Not because our hearts were good, they were bad. But because our compassionate king softened our heart to believe in him. He saw the tragic state of our hearts in rebellion towards God and filling up in compassion, laid his hand on us and softened my heart and softened your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for the compassion shown to us as sinners, not because we deserve it, but because of Christ's compassion for us. Father, please... Help us to be reminded afresh this week of Christ's compassion for us as believers. And as we hold out the good news, please soften the hearts of friends and family we know who don't believe in Jesus, that they would see and understand the compassionate King for themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
that brings us uh, to the end of our service this morning. My, my prayer is that you met with the Lord this morning, that his spirit, uh, by spirit, he spoke to you, that your hearts were comforted uh, and softened. Uh, please make sure you pray with someone before you go, uh, just to pray those things uh, true uh, in your own hearts uh, before you go. Let me uh, just close with uh, some words of encouragement uh, from Paul's letter to the church, uh, churches in Colossae, uh, where he yeah, just invites them to remember uh, that they are alive in Christ. What a glorious truth that is. And he writes this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Amen.